Well, let's open up our Bibles. And let me see if I just happen to have left my... Oh, well, sorry. That's okay. Don't worry about it. I can read just fine. So we're going to talk just a a little bit about... um, Ooh, and they're stylish. And they work. All right. Thank you. Open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 1. Just, uh, it's the Sunday before Christmas, and so um, just want to talk a little bit about that and the importance of it. And, and um, you know, sometimes uh, because Christmas is so commercialized, um, and sometimes we hear uh, things so much about, you know, Jesus being born and stuff like that, as Christians and believers, sometimes it can be very easy to kind of just take... Some of that is, it becomes like white noise for us. You know, they start the Christmas songs in almost October now. They're not even waiting for Thanksgiving. And so, um, you're hearing the songs, and, and I don't mind it. I, I like listening to Christmas songs, but at some point, you, you, you've sung all the songs, and you've heard the story, and sometimes it just kind of feels like I've been there, and I've done that uh, when it comes to Christmas. And that's you know, whether it be our flesh or the enemy, the reality of it is, is that it's the importance of it and what it means to us as believers. It's it's not just a, a holiday. It is the birth of our king. It is the birth of redemption. It is the birth of our salvation. It is the birth of not just on this earth, but what will, it, of the coming kingdom as well. And so it is important for us to not let this just become white noise, but to remember uh, what it truly means as believers in Christ. If there is no Christmas, there is no cross. (laughs) Right? And so Jesus came for a specific purpose. And when we begin to look at some of these things and, you know, you, the reasons why and all this, it's good to remind ourselves on that, about those things, about why did he come. But I, I just want to talk a little bit today about the other people around the Christmas story. Because we talk about Jesus and he's coming from heaven and we, you know, the whole immaculate conception, you know, we're going to talk about that. And, and, and we know who Jesus was, but I just want to do just a little touch on just a few other people here in the story. Because um, I think that we have a lot in common with those people. Now, I think Mary was great. I, I, don't, I don't think Mary, the mother of Jesus, is any more special than I am, but she did have a, more of a specific purpose. She has a great honor that she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus, but I'm, I'm not, she's not deified, right? We, we don't make her as a co-redeemer, but we honor the fact that she heard the voice of the Lord and, and she obeyed. And so let me, I want to look at some of this for a second. It's in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, Hey, do you like my new Bible? Yeah, very nice. I, 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 my mother-in-law gave it to me, and so she doesn't know I have it yet. It's a Christmas gift, so don't tell her. I, I cheated. I cheated. My wife called me on the phone and said, you're going to like what you got for Christmas. I'm like, I know what I got, and I'm opening it now. So, okay. So, yes, I cheated, but I don't care. All right. And don't you tell her or I'll deny it. Okay. So here we go. (laughs) 
I feel a lot holier with this Bible. I don't know if that, okay. All right, now I just ruined everything. Okay, so we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. We'll stop right there for a second. You know, Gabriel is only one of two angels mentioned by name in the Bible. The other one is Michael. I don't reference Satan as an angel because he's the bad guy. And so I, I don't want to even give him that, that term. But of one of two angels uh, of the Bible that are mentioned, Michael and Abel, they're also mentioned in the book of Daniel. You know, Daniel has, is visited by Gabriel. Michael is mentioned uh, in, in Daniel as well, too. Michael is the one who, uh, who came to the aid and fought to get the message through. And so, um, and Gabriel was bringing a message. There's another angelic person that's in that story but he is not named. And so um, as we're, we're looking at this, it's important. So what, what is an angel? Um, the Greek translation we have is angel. We get it f- uh, from Greek is angelos, angelos. Sometimes it's, it's with two Gs. I've seen one where it's with one. I don't know why, but anyway. So it's angelos. And basically, uh, angel is, is just a messenger from God. The interesting thing about angels is, is that they are spirit beings, they do not have a physical body. That does not mean that they can't appear and look like a physical body when they come, but they are spirit beings. Did you know that you are the only creation on the earth that has, uh, or in all the heavens and all the earth that has this physical body form? Yeah. And you know you're going to be given another one? Isn't that interesting? It's just how, how God has orchestrated this creation thing to be. And so we have this body, we all, this, this treasure we will carry in earthen jars of clay, right? We have this body. We'll have a body again. Because, you know, Paul would talk about, although our inner man is being renewed daily, even though the outer man is passing away. So this body has a, a, a time limit on it. People before Moses used to live a long time. Right, but then you get around towards Moses, and you hear God's word is saying, "My spirit shall not strive with man more than 120 years." And so, man had, has gotten kind of a time limit; he's not to go past pretty much 120 years in this body. Did you also know that um, the only thing that's eternal is God? Because when you think about the word eternal, eternal has no beginning and no end. You had a beginning. But you have no end. So you're going to live forever, but the only thing that's really eternal is God because he's never had a beginning and he'll never have an end. And we were created in his image, which means we have a starting point, but we don't have an ending point for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? There's a lot of cool things when we take the time to kind of look and research uh, about uh, these things in the Bible. So Gabriel is going to be giving the message. He is sent by God. Some people believe that uh, Gabriel was an archangel. Um, that's not really mentioned about him in the Bible. The only person that's mentioned to be an archangel is Michael, and he doesn't get that term really until the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he's like a chief prince. Probably the same type of thing, but just for our understanding of, of how it's worked out and how it plays in the Bible. So you can probably be okay and save as an archangel, but the Bible doesn't really give him that description. He is important. He is sent by God, and there are some... Some, some interesting things about him that we'll look at here in a little bit. So, um, did you also know that this is, in the New Testament, not the first time that Gabriel has showed up? 
he showed up when a guy named Zacharias is going in and doing his priestly duty over here on the other side of the page of your Bible in Luke chapter 1. In in verse 5 it says, There were in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and his wife and the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was uh, serving as priest before God in the order that according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn the incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the hour of incense. And the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. I wonder... How he must have been feeling. How, how many times when his lot came to fulfill his duty. How many people went in and out to do the altar of, of incense. To light the incense and all these different kinds of things. And saw absolutely nothing. They knew it was important. They knew it was holy. They had the law. They had the understanding. But it's been a long time. Roughly 400 years between the last and the Old Testament and the New Testament where God, there's not really many prophets really speaking a whole lot about what's going to happen and then all of a sudden this guy is going in and he's considered to be righteous before God and he's going to have a plan, he's going to have a destiny and that destiny is so important that he's going to meet an angel while he's doing his official duties. I imagine what that would have been like. You know? Imagine You're going through and and doing what you've always done and all of a sudden God sends a messenger, an angelic messenger. It's just not your friend Joe from down the street who gets a word, which those are good. I don't discount that. But this actually comes from God down to earth talking to Zacharias in the middle of doing his work. I'm going to tell you, I would love that. I would be scared, I'm sure, just like everybody else would. But how awesome would it be to see that happen? And, and Lord, they're invited if you want to use them. Absolutely. Okay. But uh, as, as, you're, as you're understanding this, that all of a sudden, this angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zachariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And I imagine that would be so. First of all, is it a guy? Is it an angel? They shouldn't be in here. If it's a guy, what's going on? Did I do something wrong? You know, when you're doing your, your, your business that God has told you to do and it has to be very precise and all of a sudden an angel shows up, you might be wondering if you did something wrong and he's there to smite you. Because in the Old Testament, angels were used to smite people. David, who took a census, you remember that? He wasn't supposed to. And God said, okay, I'm, I'm giving you three options. Famine, be destroyed by your enemies, or plague. And the Bible gives its description as the people are dying from the plague of the angel of the Lord doing it. Then again, do I really want to see an angel? <laughs> you know? But here he is, he's talking to Zacharias. And and Zach and Zach and Gabriel is giving Zacharias. Uh, it's it's specific because of 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 what their son John is is going to do. John is the forerunner that is talked about in in Isaiah. He is the one who's going to come. He is not Elijah, but he's coming in the spirit of Elijah. Now there's a difference. It's, I, I kind of look at that as is uh, the end of days and the last day. 
right? And in the end of days, the spirit of Elijah is going to come upon John, and he's going to do those things. And it says, now there is no scripture that says the day of Elijah. I'm not suggesting that. But Elijah has never died. Elijah was taken up in, into, the, into the heavens, right? He just took, rose on up. Swing low, sweet chariot, right? I mean, picked up Elijah and headed right back up. Okay, so Elijah has never died, which is why I believe at the end of the time when it comes about two witnesses who will stand in, in Israel that Elijah will be one of those because he hasn't died yet. But he's going to because those witnesses will be killed and then they'll be taken up to heaven. So that's why at, at the end I think Elijah is going to come back in the form of one of the witnesses at the end of the book. Kind of exciting to think and about how these things are going to work out. But the spirit of Elijah, this is why when you look in the New Testament, he says, I'm not Elijah. John the Baptist. And he's right, he's not Elijah. But Jesus even says that he has the spirit of Elijah on him. And he's calling people to repentance. And people are coming out of out of cities to find him in the desert and be baptized with the baptism of repentance because he is... You know, hellfire, brimstone preaching kind of guy. I mean, and I've been under some of those pe- preachers in my life growing up. And let me tell you something, man. There was very, too, very, very few times when those hellfire, brimstone preachers came that I wasn't back up at the altar trying to get saved again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, there's assurance of salvation. But some of those preachers are so good, they can get you to question. And you're going to come back down and make sure, you know. And Elijah is coming in and, and, and coming to a nation of people um, of a religious order who is, who is, who's done some horrible things and people don't know who God is. And, and Elijah, or excuse me, John the Baptist has, has that spirit of Elijah on him, okay? And so this is, what, this is what he's saying to him. He says, he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Have you ever thought about that? Because the rest of these disciples didn't get filled to the book of Acts. But for a specific purpose, John the Baptist is going to be filled right from the beginning. Isn't that interesting? Jesus hasn't even ascended yet, had he? He says, I must go so the Holy Spirit can come. But I've noticed in the Bible on specific occasions, and, and it, was, it was confirmed in, in a training we were doing in the back, that sometimes God will use the faithfulness of people and will draw and bring it to them. For instance, Hebrews, the, in, the, in Hebrews, when we talk about uh, the faith, great faith chapter, right? Hebrews 11. Or 12. You talk about the great faith chapter and, and Abraham and all those guys were given a promise and because they had faith in the promise it was accounted to them as righteousness although they'd never seen the fulfillment of it in their lifetime the righteousness that would come from their obedience was drawn and given to them. And Elijah, or excuse me, and, and John the Baptist, for his specific calling, for the specific anointing, is filled f- with the Holy Spirit at that moment from his birth. Okay, 
says he's going to go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Where do you remember hearing some of that? Turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. And, does that sound familiar to you? Malachi, isn't it? Malachi, yeah. Close. They're in the same testament. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of the last things. He's going to turn the hearts of the children of the father and the hearts of the father to the children, right? And so he's saying that, Eli- uh, that John the Baptist, with the spirit of Elijah, is going to be used to fulfill that prophetic promise that came back from the Old Testament. And as he's looking, at, as we're looking at all this, and um, and Zacharias said to the angel, How should I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Again, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Abraham, Sarah, he's roughly 70-some years old. Hey, you're going to have a kid. You know, I'm tired of 75. I can't imagine what it was like at 99 or whatever it was when the promise was fulfilled. I'm only 48. I think I'm done with kids. <laughs> I don't want to... Lord, there are promises that I will take, but having children at 75, you can keep that one. <laughs> you know? But when he's talking about this, he, he's saying, you're, you're going to have a child. But uh, then doubt comes. How is this going to happen, right? I'm... My wife is well advanced in years, and I'm an old man. And here's the interesting thing, <laughs> Gabriel. And, and some of my, sometimes my, um, my mind kicks in, my crazy left side of the brain kicks in, the theater side or whatever, and, and sarcastic side is looking at this. And my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, hey, dude, I am Gabriel. Who do you think you're talking to? Right? I am an angel. I've come down. You've seen me. I'm telling you what's happened. And and you're talking about the physical, and I'm declaring to you from the spiritual of what God has declared is going to happen. You're going to doubt this? (laughs) Here we get a little little glimpse of Gabriel. I am Gabriel. I, I just... I don't think he's prideful, but I think he's a little stunned. You know? It's like, I am Gabriel. The one who stands in the presence of God. This is what he declares about himself. He's like, ooh. Sorry. <laughs> didn't, didn't realize that. But there's a price to be paid for his doubt. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, <laughs> you're going to be mute. Look at what he says. You will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Let me ask you something. How important is it is to God that you take him at his word? 
this is significant right here. So let's put a doctrine around it and make a bunch of rules and say this. If an angel ever comes to you and starts speaking to you about what God has said, I wouldn't start throwing doubt his way. Who stands in the presence of God. Okay. This tells you the seriousness of of what is happening here. The timing of God. Okay. So you know what happens. Uh, The people waited for Zacharias, marveled, lingered long in the temple. He came out, he could not speak. And so it was the day of his service completed. He departed his own house. Thus the Lord had dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people, is what Elizabeth is saying, because she conceived. All right, now the sixth month, the angel comes, sent by God, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, there's a whole lot in that statement right there, and some of the words we're going to kind of focus in on is this word betrothed, because betrothed back then is not engagement today. Okay? It's like I got engaged to my wife. It was, a, it was a wonderful time. She had no idea it was happening. We were talking about marriage, and we were going up to um, Galena. I couldn't skit that word out of my mouth. And uh, we were walking around looking at chocolate. She didn't know I had the ring. Uh, it was really slick how I got the ring, in case you've never heard it. I had a friend of mine who lives in Omaha who works for a jeweler, and I talked to him and told me, we, we, I mean, I didn't even see the ring. We went back and forth talking. He's like, this is what you want, blah, blah, blah. Set at FedEx that next day, and I was off to Galena. <laughs> it was really good. I was. Okay. So, because I knew I wanted to propose that day, but I was also had this little thing of procrastination. So, like two days before, I'm like, Ryan, I got to get a ring. He's like, I'm setting you up. And it was really good. I was very happy. So, I, we go to Galena, we're walking, and all of a sudden we, we walk t- kind of down towards the uh, river, and there's this little gazebo, yeah, thing. And so I got down, I said, uh, will you marry me? And she says, do I have to cook? <laughs> to which I thought for a second, how should I respond? Because I would really like her to, but it's not important at this time. And so she eventually said yes, and we got married. But between the time I gave her the ring and the time we walked down the aisle and said our vows at Emmanuel, either one of us could have broke off the engagement and it would have been okay. We got a check in our spirit or something like this, this, that, or the other. Until you come down here and, and, and say those vows before God, the engagement that we have in this culture is something that can be broken. And it doesn't mean that there's not hurt and pain on the sides, but there is no legal ramifications of it. However, comma, here, there is. See, when they're betrothed together, that means that that they're like they're married, but by the time there's that contract and the time that they celebrate on their wedding night, there's going to be about a year wait, and they're not going to see each other. Yet they're married. So it's during this time of betrothal that the Gabriel comes to her and says these words. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying. Again, this is an angel coming. 
speaking to her. Maybe he has a bodily form, maybe he doesn't, but there's, a, there's something about him that people will automatically notice it's different. And so as, remember, he's coming from the presence of God to deliver a message. Remember when Moses came from the presence of God on the mountain? Or when he came from meeting with God into the tent? What does the Bible say? His face shone so bright that he even had to wear a veil. So when something is coming directly from the presence of God, there is something that's noticeably different about them than anything else in the physical world that they're noticing. And he hasn't just hung around God. He's been in his presence since creation and doing, because Gabriel has a creation point too. Gabriel is not eternal in the sense that he's never had a beginning. Gabriel's had a beginning. And, most, and a lot of scholars believe that that beginning is and God made the heavens and the earth. And when that statement of when God made the heavens is when they begin to believe that all the angelic hosts were created in that moment. There's other different things that are out there, but in reality, or I think that's probably when things were established. And so, but when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, considering what manner of greeting it was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. Have you ever noticed in the Bible that those who have found favor with God are going to find trouble with man? <laughs> oh, Gideon, mighty man of valor. I'm hiding in a wine press, trying not to be seen by the enemy. What are you even talking about? You have found favor with God. But that favor that God is talking about is going to lead to some trying times on this earth for her. There's this idea that the favor of God in your life means that you're going to go through life and not have a problem. And that is the exact opposite. That is the enemy's favor. If you have the favor of the enemy on you, then most of your fleshly desires will probably be fulfilled and you're probably not going to hit any real struggles in your life because you're finding the wrong kind of favor because he is according to this world and the world's system. But those who have found favor with God, that favor is counter against the world system. That means you are finding a favor that is not found on the earth in which you live. You are finding a favor that is coming from the very heavens where God dwells. And that favor that comes upon you, although it's going to cause problems for you and for others while on this earth, it's going to be a type of favor that's going to be also unstoppable in your life. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or Emmanuel in Isaiah, which means what? God with us. God with us. 
And he will be great and will be called son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. No end. His kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Now listen. What he's basically saying is, is you're going to get pregnant. It's going to come from the Holy Spirit, not your husband, whom you haven't seen in a long time. What kind of trouble do you think that's going to cause in their culture? How did you get pregnant? It was God, I swear. Heard that before. Boy, if I had a nickel every time I heard immaculate conception, right? I'm always stunned when people ask, how could this happen? How could you not know? This is going to cause some trouble for her. She's been a good girl on the earth. That's why she was chosen. And now people are going to say things about her. Now, the contract that she's entered into legally could have some consequences. Because according to the law, Jacob's got some rights, people. And he's probably not real keen on the idea that the Holy Spirit came upon her. I'm thinking that Joseph is going to need a vision himself or a dream. And he gets one. Because what Jacob, or excuse me, what Joseph is looking at in his flesh doesn't make any sense about being the favor of God upon someone's life. All he knows is that this woman whom I loved, whom I cared for, whom I've entered into negotiations and contracts to be married for, and we're going to be apart for a year, but then we're going to come together and it's going to be an awesome life, that all of a sudden, during that time, somewhere, she got pregnant. How does that happen, you know? And all you've got is is her word saying, I have been with no man. I have been faithful to you. Just imagine some of those conversations that might be going in. They're just thoughts. May not happen like that, but it would happen in my life. How did this happened. You see, the favor that she has received from God is not favorable in the culture in which she lives. Yet. And sometimes we look at things that God has given us and because it doesn't match our physical surroundings and it's not going to work out just perfect, we throw it and cast it off to the side and think it's the enemy because it's going to cause us some tough things and tough times to handle when in reality it is God's favor upon your life and it's not going to look like the world because he's called you out of it. He's called his people to be separate from the world, separate from the system and the rules which govern the world of this day and subject now to his kingdom and his principles of which there'll be no end. It's tough. 
It's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's his favor. I imagine it's the kind of favor that Job had. (laughs) When the divine counsel presents itself to the king and Satan is with him. Where have you been? To and fro from the earth. And then all of a sudden Job comes up. Have you seen my servant Job? Oh yeah, I've seen him. He's really righteous, isn't he? Because you protect him from everything. But I think God's favor upon Job's life, hear me. God's favor on Job's life was not about that Job would not face any problems, but was about the fact that when Job lost everything in this physical realm, he still held on to God. And so that he brought glory to God in no matter what situation he was in. When everybody around him was saying, his wife, curse God and die. His, his, his people that were giving him all sorts of, of advice that sometimes I look at and I say, I might have said that myself. And in certain situations, in my mind's ear, I can hear myself saying that into other situations. Hmm. Sometimes bringing God's glory bringing the glory of God to him or giving him glory throughout my life means I'm not going to experience that wonderful frilly feelings throughout life as I go. Don't get me wrong. I don't think God leaves you there. I don't. I think sometimes there's seasons. And I I don't pretend to know everything. But I know that I've been through seasons of testing. I've been through seasons of trial. I've been through all these different kinds of things. Because I don't think the enemy has stopped asking to sift people. Like he did Peter. Peter Satan has asked for you. To sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. So that when you return, you will strengthen your brothers. I don't think the sifting has really stopped. Well, I mean, it has for Peter. <laughs> but I don't think for the rest of us. I got a word myself from someone about sifting. I didn't like it. <laughs> I don't want to be sifting. Because sifting can sometimes mean tough stuff. I don't want tough stuff. I want the prosperity gospel. <laughs> And there is a prosperity gospel. It's just not what's preached on this earth. Okay. So, when the angel answered, notice the difference. How can this be since I do not know a man? Zechariah said, how can this be since I am old and my wife is old? He got his voice taken away for nine months. Mary, on the other hand, how can this be since I have not known a man? I think there's a difference maybe in, in the tone of those questions. See, everybody's going to celebrate Zacharias when Elizabeth gets pregnant. They've had a son. God has shown favor upon them, even though they're old. Right? But she's going to, build, she's going to bear guilt and shame. Because she's not carrying Elijah. She's carrying Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus is going to bear your guilt and shame upon him at the cross. 
She's not bearing your guilt and shame. But she's bearing a guilt and shame of a culture who is not wanting. What does John say? Is it John or Luke? For he came into his own and his own received him not. He came as a light into this world, but the darkness could not comprehend it. Right? All these things. So bearing the, the plans and the, and, the, and the callings of God on your life is also going to leave a mark. Or an altar. Jacob always had an altar point to go back to. Abraham always had an altar point to go back to. His altar was on Mount Moriah where he almost sacrificed Isaac. And that's where God revealed a a facet of who he was. Jehovah, Jireh, Yeroah, however it's pronounced, the Lord will provide. Jacob wrestles with God, right? Bethel. There's these altar moments that come in our life. And I think there may be either marks or they're altars. And they're marks in our life that affect us for the negative if we've turned around and gone the other way. Or there are altar moments in our life where we've, pressured, where we've pressed on and through what God has called us to do and it may not have been comfortable and it may have been painful for a time, but because I pressed on and, I, and now I'm reaping a, what I've sowed in good time because I was faithful to it, and those become altar moments of where I can go back to and say, I trusted God here. I can trust God there. Yeah. Mary's going to find an altar moment right here. Mm-hmm. To the point, listen, she's not dumb. She's what, 15, 14 or 15 roughly? She's going to get pregnant. The one of the things she's going to do is God's going to, she's going to go to Elizabeth, her cousin, family, spend some time with her. You know what that tells me? Is that even though God has given you hard things to bear, which will eventually turn out for his glory, there's also people he will bring in your life that will help you bear that burden. Because there's a confirmation thing when she meets Elizabeth, isn't there? They come together and Elizabeth is like, whoa, <laughs> we got some movement, people. The Bible says that the child within her leapt for joy when Mary approached with Jesus. Confirmation. Stay the track. Stay, hold the path. Don't give up. Don't give in. Your trouble may be for a little bit, but I'm telling you, there's going to be a breakthrough in your life. And that breakthrough is going to be all about the glory of God. And the glory goes to God, but you get to live in the overflow of that. Are you hearing me? You get to live in the overflow of the glory of God because of your faithfulness and what he's called you to. And what he's called you to bear. Okay, let's look at this. We're going to end here pretty quick. All of a sudden, (sighs) 
as we're, as we're Mary, um, if we're indeed in verse uh, 44, for indeed as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. That's the confirmation I'm telling you about. And then all of a sudden, I, I think Mary sets her path. There's a time when you've said yes to God, and you're like, you're like, in, you're like holding on to what he said, but there's still maybe a lot of fear. There's still maybe a lot of trepidation about some stuff. And then all of a sudden, there's a confirming word that comes. And, it's, and she speaks this confirming word to her. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those which were told to her from the Lord. And then all of a sudden, that transfers into strength and encouragement for her. And from that, what she does is this. My soul magnifies the Lord. I don't think it's this. My soul doth magnify the Lord. I don't think Mary was like that. I think this 14 or 15 year old girl about had a revival moment where all of a sudden she gets this confirming word and she's like, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed and we do. There's a lot of parents who name their child Mary. There's not a whole lot who name their son Judas. Come here, Judas. Judas? What? Forget the S and just call him Jude. Right? Yeah, I'm not going to sing it. Okay. <clears throat> I heard it. Now, my musical thing. Yeah, no, no. Focus, Steve, focus, okay. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Ooh, that's a word for today. We'll get there. He has pulled down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. I think this is, I think this is the moment where she went from saying yes to being convinced in her spirit that it was right. We all have those things. We want to say yes to God. It looks like it's God. I'll say yes to God. But I've got a foot back here just in case, you know, maybe I should put out a fleece. Maybe I should do a whole bunch of these other things. But we know that God has really spoken it, but we're struggling because it's going to be hard to bear. And all of a sudden there comes this encouragement of this time when, when we sense it, we know it, God has spoken it, I know it's his voice, I've received confirmation from my, a friend he has sent in my direction, and all of a sudden I've got both feet on the path of what God has called for my life, and I'm not gonna relent until I see his glory displayed through what he's called of me. Amen. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and because of her faithfulness, her pain doesn't end there. She's going to have a few pains in her life. 
The last major one being seeing her son on a cross, broken, almost unrecognizable, wondering about the promise way back here when she's looking at him hanging on the cross up there. But she's only got about three days. Which may seem like an eternity when it means pain, but all of the sudden and suddenly, three days later, well, I'm, well, I, yeah, it was the Holy Spirit, all right. <laughs> because the same spirit that impregnated her, impregnated her was the same spirit that raised him from the dead. It's also the same spirit that lives in you. Which means that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he impregnates you with the vision and purpose of your life. He cannot stop creating. (laughs) Do you hear this? He's going to do in you spiritually what he did in her physically. You've all felt it at some point. These things inside you that you can't just escape. Some you do, some people do. They walk away from it. I, I, I can't say that. Some, some people do, they just walk away from it. I, I, they do. But I think, I don't know what the percentage is, but there are some who don't. And that those who don't, when they press on, get the reward for their obedience, a down payment of the reward for their obedience on this earth. The fulfillment that God gives to those who are obedient. Doesn't mean they haven't gone through tough things. Doesn't mean it hasn't been hard. Doesn't mean you're not gonna cry. Doesn't mean you're not gonna be bruised, battered, and all these different kinds of things. But the reality of it is, if you hold tight and stay the course, you're gonna win. And you're going to see the fulfillment of what you didn't understand back here happen up here. And you may have a moment where you feel like your purpose, your life, your family is on a cross, but I'm telling you, There's a time when all those things that you hope for are going to be resurrected in your life through the Holy Spirit. Jesus died for it. The Holy Spirit is is the promise of it. And you hold on to it.